The reading this morning is taken from Paul's letter to the Corinthians, the first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 15, beginning at verse 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive, but each in his own turn. Christ, the first fruits, then, when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. And then going on to verse 35. But someone may ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And verse 42 so will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is is perishable, it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, the last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth, the second man from heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the man from heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. This is the word of the Lord. As we sit, let's pray. Our Father God, we pray this morning for the guidance of your Holy Spirit to help us to understand our hope for the resurrection from the dead and the life of the world to come. In Jesus' name, amen. I wonder if you sometimes share the kind of frustration which I have Uh, or irritation when watching a film or reading a book and I can't work out the sequence of the scenes or how the chapters fit together. We can't work out the logic. We don't see the relevance of particular episodes. Of course, in a detective novel, that's part of the craft of the author. There is a denouement in which Hercule Poirot reveals all. But, of course, we like to hope usually in vain, that we've worked it out for ourselves. Now, reflecting on the resurrection of the body, by which I mean our resurrection, not Jesus' resurrection, it can leave us asking how it fits into the whole of Christian thinking. Obviously, we're concerned about who will be resurrected and when, and what form will the resurrection take for ourselves and for those whom we love. But we need to go further. We need to understand how the resurrection of the believers fits into the wider purposes of God. You see, our resurrection is not a standalone, gracious initiative of God. It is part of a unified, single story or narrative. And the biblical materials give us a clear indication of God's purposes, even if, as we shall see, some puzzles remain. Now, the context of the resurrection of Christian people in the Bible is that of the last things, or eschatology, that we've been exploring in this sermon series, uh, Surprised by Hope, on the first Sunday morning in the month since last October. And I'm sure you may not remember this, but let's remind ourselves of two key elements that we've covered so far. The first we began in Colossians 1 with the role of Christ in the original creation. All things were created by him and for him. And Paul goes on to write about the role of Christ in the renewed creation, through Christ to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or in heaven. So the picture we have is that of Christ as the head of a renewed humanity, exercising the rule over the created order which fallen humanity has so evidently failed to fulfill. Now later in Romans 8, we found confirmation of God's promise that redemption and renewal are not just for humanity, but will extend to the whole created order. 
let me remind you of Romans 8 and uh, verses 23 onwards. I beg your pardon, sorry, Um, 20 onwards. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed and then in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. So what we're looking for is a renewed creation with a redeemed and renewed humanity as part of it. So how do we as Christ's people fit into this renewed creation? What part are we going to play in his kingdom under his rule? What sort of beings are we going to be? What sort of bodies, if any, will we have? And what will be our role and function? And this is the subject of Paul's analysis in 1 Corinthians 15. I would have liked to have had the whole of 1 Corinthians 15 read, but I thought it might take a little too long. So please, when you go home, please make sure you read the whole of the chapter. You'll recall that Paul begins the chapter, chapter 15, with a powerful affirmation of the truth of the resurrection of Jesus. He's writing about 20 years after the event, and he notes that many of the eyewitnesses are still around, and there were lots of them. He also notes that Jesus' resurrection was crucial to the good news which he and the other apostles had preached. Verse 17, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. Why? Because our future as God's people depends on us sharing in the resurrection of Christ. If we remain dead, if we are not resurrected, then Christ's renewed creation, over which he rules, will be empty of the human race for which it was created. Empty of the very beings who were the climax and purpose of God's first creation. And that makes no sense at all. It simply doesn't add up. And that's the point that Paul is making in verses 20 to 26 of 1 Corinthians 15. In verses 20 and 23, he refers to the resurrection of Jesus as the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. He argues that the whole human race is subject to death because they are in Adam. They share in the sinful nature that is epitomized biblically by Adam in Genesis 3. But those who are in Christ, who are committed to and share in the redeemed and renewed humanity that has been established by Christ, will be made alive. Verse 22. Note, by the way, that the NIV translation of verse 22 could be misunderstood. It is not saying that everyone, that is all, will be made alive. As verse 23 is quick to add, those who belong in Christ. And the following verses make it clear that the context is the completion of Christ's rule, his coming again at Perusia, the destruction of all that is opposed to God, and all dominion, power, authority. And finally, the destruction of the last enemy, death itself. 
So in verse 28, it's as if Christ can at last say to his father, mission accomplished. All you sent me to do in redeeming and renewing your creation, including the human race, I have now done. I'm now giving it back to you. Now, all that is very encouraging, but it leaves a further question. We are to be resurrected, becoming the people of God under the rule of Christ, living in a renewed creation and fulfilling the mandate to care for it, to enjoy it, to use it. But what sort of beings will we be? And this is the question that Paul sets out to answer from verse 35 to the end of the chapter. He makes two fundamental points. He says there will be continuity between our present bodies and our resurrected bodies. And then he says there will be fundamental differences. So let's do that in the reverse order. There will be fundamental differences. Look at verse 50. Sorry, I found the Romans passage and didn't go back to the Corinthians passage. I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Flesh and blood evidently refers to our current physical bodies, which are, of course, perishable. These, St. Paul declares, are not appropriate for life in Christ's kingdom. They cannot inherit it. That is, they cannot exercise the kind of responsibility for the renewed creation which is going to be required. So the contrast, according to Paul, is between a natural body and a spiritual body, as he emphasizes in verses 44 to 49. Now, this is very easily misread. It's not a distinction between our current body and a future spirit. The contrast is between two kinds of body. Now, it's quite likely that some of the Christians at Corinth were influenced by the Greek philosopher Plato, who in popular thinking at the time was thought to have taught that the soul spirit is good and the body is bad. So death should be thought of as a welcome release from the captivity of the body to enable the soul spirit to flourish unencumbered. And that actually applies not only to the first century AD either. It's a pretty popular conception now of what happens after death. But note, Paul will have none of it. He says we change one body for another and our resurrection body will be perfectly adapted to life in the spirit as members of Christ's people living in a renewed creation. But it will be different as Paul spells out in a striking set of contrasts in verses 42 to 44. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. So Paul's point is, it's going to be different. 
But he also says there's going to be continuity. And this is the point of St. Paul's analogy of the seed and the plant in verses 35 to 38. As we know, the seed determines the plant which will grow when it's sown. As Paul writes, to each kind of seed, God gives its own body. And I think the implication is surely that each of us will be recognizably us in our resurrection bodies. The only example that we have is the resurrection body of Jesus. Once the disciples had got over the shock and surprise of encountering him, they evidently had no doubt in recognizing him, even for Thomas, to the extent of seeing the marks of his crucifixion. But I think we should not press that example too far. Jesus' appearance were in the context of the old created order, not the renewed creation that we are promised when Christ returns. So how might we think about continuity for each of us? Perhaps this will help. Recently, I ordered a book from the Summertown Library and received notification that it was available for collection. When I got to the library, what I found on the reserve shelf was not a book, but the audio version. Ordering it online, I had clicked on the wrong format. Equally, I could have, by mistake, clicked on a DVD film version. Book, audio, tape, film. Three quite different formats, but exactly the same story. You see, I think our resurrected bodies will display our life stories in a way that is recognizably us, even if the body, the format, is quite different. But there is an added and rather wonderful twist. At the judgment, our sinfulness and our sins will be as if edited out. So that our love for Jesus and his people, including all that has been good in our lives, will fill our resurrected bodies. So Paul writes, we shall bear the likeness of the man from heaven, that is, Jesus himself. Now, more or less in parenthesis, I want to deal with two questions which Christians often have. One is, what will be our intermediate state? And the second is, what about those who are still alive when Christ appears? Let's deal with those in turn. What will be our intermediate state? You see, the resurrection of the body is in the future. When Christ appears, the judgment takes place, and there is a renewed creation. So the obvious question is, well, what's the situation of those who have died? but are not yet resurrection. And I have to say, it's a puzzle. You see, Jesus, Paul, and other New Testament writers use the phrase, fallen asleep. And scholars debate as to whether this is just a gentler way of saying someone has died, or whether it has descriptive content of their actual state. By contrast, Jesus promises the penitent thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. 
And Paul, also writing to Corinthian church, 2 Corinthians 5.8, we would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord, suggesting immediate life with the Lord after death. Now, two solutions have been suggested. The first is that the sleep after death does not imply that the person is completely unconscious of the love of Christ. And the second is this, the lapse of time until the return of Christ in the present world has no counterpart in heaven. For the person who has died, it is as if they wake immediately to the presence of Jesus. And I have to say, between these two options, Scripture does not resolve the question for us. And then the other question, what about those who are still alive in Christ? Evidently, that was a question that uh, concerns some of the Corinthian Christians and his answer in, in verses 51 and 52. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. At Christ's return... As Paul explains in 1 Thessalonians 4.17, Christians who are alive will join his triumphal procession and they will be changed, presumably into resurrection bodies, at the same time as the dead are raised. So let me conclude. How does the resurrection of the body for believers fit into God's purposes for his renewed creation? The point is simple. A renewed creation is incomplete without people who were the climax and purpose of God's first creation, as described in the narrative of Genesis 1 and 2 and the poetry of Psalm 8. It's God's resurrected people, those who are in Christ, who will inherit his renewed creation. And then secondly, what kind of body is the resurrection body? It is a spiritual body, but it's still a body. It will be different, but there will be continuity. We will be recognizably us. So what difference does this make to our lives now? Let me read you verse 58. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Paul ends a section on our future resurrection with an exhortation to attend to God's work now and the promise that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Why? Because all that is Christ-like in us now and all the good works that we do will be carried forward into God's renewed creation. Early in this sermon series, we recounted the story of Martin Luther, who when he was asked what would he do If he knew that Christ was coming tomorrow, he said, I would go out and plant a tree. You see, labor in the Lord, the work of the Lord, 
are not to be restricted to spiritual activities alone. As we've noted before, the New Testament emphasizes our calling to good works of every kind in the workplace, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, wherever we have opportunities to use our resources, our time, and our skills to serve others. The point is that such works are not ephemeral. They will endure and will have value in the renewal of creation and in the resurrection of our bodies. Let's pray. Our Father God, we thank you for the hope of resurrection of our bodies. Help us to heed the exhortation to stand firm and to give ourselves fully to the work of the Lord, which will not be in vain. In Jesus' name, amen.